Liam. Yes. I've got a movie pitch for you. Shoot. I want to take Frank Herbert's classic ecological science fiction novel, Dune, Mm. a cult classic beloved by millions. Mm -hmm. I want to condense it down into a two-hour high-concept movie, and that includes all of the vital historical information included in the novel, and I want to give it to David Lynch. I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the show where we attempt to penetrate movies more dense than the sun and suss out a story. I Have Some Notes is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Greg Beaver. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And we have uh, drank deep the font of spice. We have... Im- we have- consumed the spice we have been granted prescience yes. and can see how this episode will end <laughs> poorly because, poorly i think <laughs> because we we are indeed delving into dune yes dune i we we've been doing this show a long time and i don't think that i've come into an episode with less confidence <laughs> than i have with dune yeah <laughs> this, this is yeah. this is going to be a massive hike. <laughs> we we may have bitten off more than we can chew here. <laughs> yeah, this is this is challenging because this is and I mean I don't think it's any great spoiler for what's to come. This is not a great movie. No. Uh based on uh and I was not joking in my pitch to Liam earlier, a cult classic book mm-hmm. that is beloved by a great many people who desperately wanted to see an adaptation of it, and this was not what they wanted. No. Yeah. And who better to attempt to tweak and fix a movie like this, a cult classic like this, than three people who have not read the book? Yes, we all quickly realized. I think we were all like, yeah, let's do Dune. I'm sure one of the other guys will have read the book. Yeah, we literally all thought that about the other two. (laughs) I was like, I was... I was so confident that you had read the book, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> like, everyone's looking like... mainly at me. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I'm apparently that kind of nerd. Dune is one of those, one of those reading nerds. Ooh, yeah, you do. You do have literally another podcast where you literally read. have a reading podcast on the side. Um, Dune is one of those classic science fiction stories that is super dense that I never picked up as a youth and just seems very daunting to put the time into now. And that's not to say that I'm not familiar with it because mm-hmm. I have like it's in the zeitgeist and I've familiarized myself with the lore and I I've watched other media about Dune. So I'm I know the story even if I've never actually read the words. Mm-hmm. So that I I will at least bring that to bear. Yeah, it's it's one of those stories that is like people are familiar with some of the main plot points and themes and and you know everyone knows sandworms everyone knows spice um i'm mostly familiar with, i i've not not i've not read frank herbert's dune i have I had not seen this movie until uh recently but i did watch jodorowsky's dune has anyone else seen that film yes yeah. i have actually not yet oh it's so great yeah so you're in the same boat i am where we watched a documentary about a movie that didn't get made about a book we hadn't read yeah um <laughs> I also realized I've actually seen more Alejandro Jodorowsky movies than I have David Lynch movies. Yeah, uh, I'm weirdly illiterate. Um. <laughs> I th- I think for me, um, like 
I don't like I, I'm I, I like science fiction quite a bit, mm-hmm. but I don't like this kind of science fiction a whole lot. That like the whole the whole um, you know kings and queens in space fantasy ish type sci fi. It's not it's not my my favorite brand of it, and it's kind of why I'm way into Star Trek more than compared to Star Wars, for example. Yeah, and um, I think. I think the more abstract this kind of science fiction gets, gets the less I'm into it. And I think there's there's a, on the Mo's scale, you prefer your sci-fi to be on the hard end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like my uh, Battlestar Galacticas and my Star Treks and my. Or just if you want to tell a story yeah, about like yeah. birthright and regency, like do a medieval story, like yeah. Yeah, and it and and it's not that I can't be convinced of 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 a of a, of a style like this uh, being fun. It's just it just I'm less likely to to um, be interested in it. That's fair. I loved I like this movie's obviously so dense with world building stuff, but like I'm a big D and D and role playing guy, and I love worlds. Like I love knowing histories and like here the fact that this movie starts with a lady giving a bunch of exposition and then going right to a map of the galaxy. Like, the, the movie starts with a map of four planets and their name written out clearly. I loved that. Uh, <laughs> and I also, I don't know when, when she was she was giving that exposition, and I don't know if this was like a ju- I feel like it had to have been delivered because it made me laugh. She fades away, and then she comes back and gives more exposition. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot to <laughs> and mention. And then comes back a third time to be like, oh, and also I forgot. Like... <laughs> It's like whoa! Like even the narrator realizes that there's too much pages of exposition off the top. I I, I love world building too. I prefer the economy of world building. I like the uh, I like the Star Wars A New Hope type of world building where where um, the the density of the of the world gets built by uh, just a few sentences. Like my you know uh, you fought in the clone wars and like and you're like oh what's the clone wars and it just sort of like peppers that mm-hmm. uh you know and makes you makes your imagination do the work and this <laughs> this movie doesn't do that at all this movie no. unscrewed the pepper lid and then watched there's, and laughed as you poured pepper all over your eggs there's uh there's an old axiom in uh storytelling to a certain extent but which is especially true in a visual medium and that is show don't tell yeah. and this movie <laughs> all tell. Tell, is tell, all tell, tell. It wants yeah. to tell you absolutely everything. It wants to tell you what's there. It wants to tell you what it's not there. It wants to tell you what everyone's thinking. It is telling you everything all the time, always. And it doesn't give you an opportunity to interpret anything or for there to be any subtlety. And that's terrible. That's very bad. Yeah. It is a very, very, very pretty movie. Agreed. I think I think the it's it's... It's the the most beautiful bad movie that I think I've ever seen, um, and it, and it definitely looks expensive. It looks yeah. like they spent a lot of money on it. They yeah, there's some big they, big sets. They spent forty to forty two million on it, which at the time would have been huge. Yeah, that's, in eighty four, that's a lot of money. There's nanners. Yeah. I've I've watched uh, other adaptations of Dune, and this one hangs with them, like visually yeah. speaking. The set design is all really grand and like kind of space culture-y in a way that's a, a little removed so that it was it was interesting and it felt a little alien. Uh, I really liked the look of the still suits in the movie in particular. I thought they were really good. Um, 
the sandworms all being really nice practical effects. Yeah. No um, like there's there's a lot to like there. Yeah. It there there really was it, that, that clearly that forty to forty two million got spent uh, very very well. They didn't make it back though. Uh, still to this day, cumulative worldwide gross only thirty million. So they spent forty and still have yet to make back that ten. Oof. Um, and uh, it's uh, quite an interesting cast too. We have uh, Kyle MacLachlan of other David Lynch fame as Paul Atreides. Uh, Kenneth McMillan as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, uh, Sting, the, the very famous uh, role Sting as uh, Fade. Uh, Fade. Uh, Patrick Stewart makes an appearance. Uh, Francesca Annas and Sane. I'm probably saying that wrong. Sane Phillips. Yeah, there's a bunch of um, like, oh, that guy. Yeah, uh, faces in this film. Uh, in many cases, from people who had yet to become like famous. Mm-hmm. Like this is before Patrick Stewart was Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah, this is this is when he was just. That's a weird looking guy. Um, yeah, he looks like a space captain. Sure. Let's <laughs> let's put him in a Star Trek next. Like, yeah. Just yeah. to go back to the budget real quick, I just did a quick calculation. Uh, $44 million is or $176 million in today's dollars. So, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not a cheap movie. No. no. Even today. Yes, but it was, uh, it was not loved when it came out. Uh, looking at some of the interesting facts about this, most of them were just about how critically panned it was. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it one out of four stars and wrote, This movie's a real mess. It's incomprehensible, ugly, unstructured, pointless excursion into murkier realms of one of the most confusing screenplays of all time. <laughs> Scathing, Mr. Ebert. <laughs> uh, like, Dune itself as a book is dense. Yeah. And this screenplay is... He's not wrong. Like, it... It tries to cram as much of that in here, and it it's trying it's trying to squeeze coal into a diamond here. <laughs> it's it's just not quite working. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's let the trailer speak for itself, perhaps. A beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year ten thousand one ninety one. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. You are about to enter a world where the unexpected Many dangers exist on Arrakis. The unknown and incredible secrets have been kept on this planet. And the unbelievable meet. I see two great houses. Where kingdoms are built on Earth that moves. We have worms sign the likes of which even God has never seen. And skies are filled with fire. The prophecy which will cleanse the universe can bring us out of darkness. Dune, a world beyond your experience, beyond your imagination. In the distant year of 10,191, the most important commodity in the universe is spice, and the spice is nice. Also referred to as melange, the spice has the power to extend life, Fold the fabric of space and works as great dry rub for your steak. The spice comes from only one place, the desert planet of Arrakis, home of the Freemen. Sorry, that's Fremen. 
the Fremen have one of those standard prophecies about how a very special white man will lead them to freedom. His name? Paul Atreides. Melange. Arrakis. Fremen. Paul. Anywho, a secret report from the Space Guild warns of plans that could jeopardize the production of spice. Emperor of the Universe, Shaddam IV, sets a complicated plot in motion to lure House Atreides to Arrakis, under the pretense of taking over the old spice mines and then murdering Paul, his family, and his people. Paul and his mother escape and team with the Fremen to take names, ride worms, and get some spicy revenge. You're slow deliberate delivery of that <laughs> it's just so apropos of this movie like, oh yeah that was not that was not an intention <laughs> yeah that was this was, was one, of our, one of our longest summaries and- <laughs> i was actually trying to ape the uh the princess at the beginnings yeah narration. yeah yeah i think you did a good job actually uh, yeah if, if you haven't seen this film you just got a taste uh a little scene <laughs> like how's our conan had tricked him into and then they came and <laughs> A lot of whispering in this movie, too. If, if you had whispered that plot summary, yeah. that would have also been apropos. I actually, this was a problem because I was watching the movie in the evening mm-hmm. and Anita kept complaining that it was too loud. But I was like, but it has to be because the sound effects are very loud, but everyone is whispering all the time <laughs> and I can't hear what they're saying. I had that similar because I live in an apartment and I was I was using my my good speakers and I had to be I kept being like oh shit my neighbors probably hate me I don't why is it so loud and then I turn it down on the explosions and then I'm like I can't hear shit <laughs> I, I think part of the design language of this movie was that anyone anytime someone was whispering that was a cue that that was their thinky voice right. And uh, like that was when they were doing voiceover. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but it, but really, what it did was just made it just it just made things that it just made it the voiceover that much weirder to yep. me. And I, I think I think we're all going to be in agreement that the, the voiceover was a huge mistake. Yes. yes. And a hard cut with a movie like so dense with history and culture and things. The fact that those those voiceovers they were like footnotes to the textbook you were reading like little blurbs at the bottom that you also had to like keep track of and memorize yeah Yeah. i've i've legit read fiction books that have footnotes and they serve a purpose and they can be a lot of fun yeah if that was the case in this movie it was a bad example (laughs) because it was not um it was it was jarring and weird and just, and sometimes yeah. entirely unnecessary. Oh, completely in some cases, yeah. You know, sometimes a character would say something in their thinky voice that was pretty apparent by the visuals, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so it was uh, it was very, 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 very strange. And everyone did it in different amounts. Like, it was no... you know, We got it from multiple characters. Yeah. I think the other thing that made it difficult, too, was that, that um, um, visually, when they, were, when they were thinking something, there wasn't sort of a change in... There wasn't a cut, like there was no like there was no like cut to their face, just like and them thinking right. They would just be it, it would happen within the rest of their dialogue. You, and yeah, that you'd have made to notice diff- their mouth. Yeah, wasn't and right. it was difficult to parse. I think um, this movie, oh boy, it's also really like we've been talking about how much information they're trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it is paced really weird and it's structured really weird because they spend so much time in the first part of the movie setting up what's to come on Dune and then they rush through what happens on Dune because there's so much, but they spent so much time setting it up. And it's like, why? Why did you spend so much time not on Dune? Yeah, and it's funny because for all this, for all the time they spend setting things up, the um, the betrayals that occur in the attack on the uh, um, on a, on Dune. Um, sorry, I forget Paul's family's the name. The House again. of Trades. The House of Trades, like the attack on House of Trades, like the the betrayal that happens from um, fucking Ziggy or whatever the Quantum Leap guy, like <laughs> that. You know, it, it doesn't pay. It doesn't pay off. Like I'm more just. I, I was more like, ah, oh, well, I guess that happened. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't. I'm not feeling anything. I'm not attached yeah. to any of the characters whatsoever. So for all the legwork they were attempting to do, um, they were spending just like way too much time just telling us about the universe and not really letting the characters um, help develop the universe for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, exposition was the word I was looking for. Sure. <laughs> And uh, um, I always like in movies like this, like you in weird science fiction movies, um, it always helps to have like a like a like a pretty ordinary dude to sort of guide you through the universe Mm -hmm. Um, to be your sort of fish out of water. You know, your your avatar within the movie. Yeah. So that so that someone's helping you helping you understand everything. And I don't really think this movie has that. I disagree from a story point of view and agree from a movie point of view. Uh, in the story, Paul is that character because yeah. he is the he is the like heir apparent to House Atreides. He's from their beautiful water planet. He comes to Dune and he's a fish out of water and he's learning about uh, what it's like on the planet he's learning about the fremen culture like he doesn't come into his own until later and at that point we've been along for the journey now we're familiar with the planet we're familiar with the sandworms we're familiar with the fremen and the harkonnen and we're we're with him all the steps of the way the movie falls flat on that because we it goes through it all too fast yeah so we never have an opportunity to really connect with paul and to be the fish out of water with him because he's just suddenly with the Fremen and then suddenly super capable and then suddenly God. Um, <laughs> and and it's it happens so fast that it doesn't give us the Luke Skywalker journey to, to get to being a Jedi master. Yeah. Um, and, and it feels really rushed and unearned when it happens. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that like it's in, I think if this movie started with the, with them arriving on Dune and just having having to having Paul having to go through meeting people and having the world sort of explained to him, and, yeah, and, you know, because they're effectively there to take over a new job. So there's the from a storytelling standpoint, there's lots of opportunity and to, we can, to do exposition through through you know yeah. uh, just you know characters communicating with yeah. one another about what they've got to do on the planet. And a lot of the backstory can be revealed while they're getting set up in their new digs. Like, oh, well, the Duke can mention to someone, well, you know, we were given control of the planet by the Emperor for some reason. And, mm-hmm. oh, we're still cleaning out all these Harkonnen jerks who used to be the tyrants of the planet. 
And you can even move the scene with the Reverend Mother showing up after they've arrived and testing him for his space wizard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's that's all stuff that could have been moved around. And and I agree. I think they should have just started on Dune mm-hmm. and then had more time to breathe on the planet. Yeah. And with the Fremen, who really are kind of the, the, the focal heroes of the story, right? Yeah, I mean they're kind of they're they're really wasted in this movie almost oh, entirely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they you don't really get an you don't get a good sense of who they who they are at all. And in the book, and again, as someone who hasn't read the book, forgive me, but as I understand it in the book, part of the book is an exploration of this culture that Frank Herbert invented mm-hmm. for them. And we don't get that in the movie. We don't get an opportunity to learn who they are and what they're about other than they hate Harkonnens and like Riding sandworms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, we were talking about how beautiful the film is, and I do, one of the things I would love to make sure we kept, and I'd even want to see more of, I thought the bodysuits were great. The like, still suits? The still suits, yes. I mean the weird uh, special effect, like, square cubism. Oh. Like, shield. Oh, the shield. I loved that. I wanted to see more of it. I wanted to see, like, it was so clunky and awkward, but it just, it really did seem kind of like an elegant, like, I just, I've never seen a special effect like that. And the fact that it was clunky and awkward and kind of bad, I didn't care. I truly loved it. I am going to hard disagree (laughs) on that one. Possibly my, other than the weird alien guy in the tub, who just, his mouth looked great and it was just a great puppet. Oh, the, the guild navigator. The guild navigator. Yeah. Um, alien guy i think it was pretty <laughs> technically, technically <laughs> they are human really, yes um uh the navigator uh and the whole guild guys um also I, I mentioned this in our group chat but if anyone is familiar with the podcast hello from the magic tavern the guild nav the guys who speak on behalf of the guild navigator one of them while talking through the translator sounds exactly like the wizard from hello from the magic tavern <laughs> uh which is weird because that uh, particular character in that podcast is from uh house tarakis oh there you go <laughs> so when <laughs> anyway that might Atreides, that might have been intentional it might have been uh drawn from the same pool i really uh, that that little bit there that like the translator microphone i thought that was cool yeah. it was one of those things where like oh that's neat well, so i don't want to go back what was it about the uh shield armor or square things you didn't like well, uh, when the shields were up, you could not understand what was happening, and that was a big problem for me. Yeah, I think I don't mind it being boxy, but it needed to be much more transparent. Yeah, I couldn't. You couldn't really see the characters particularly well. I like that about it. You could <laughs> just enough. you could see enough of like the camera. It just like the I mean, I just watching it, I was deconstructing how they would have done that visual effect, and and I just. It just was such a cool creative choice. I, I kind of imagine it was hand animated, eh? Yeah. Probably. Probably had to be it. Yeah. Well, you point. could see, like, it was like frame, other frames of film were blurry, and you it was almost like it was, like, lifted and shot. I don't know. I just, I thought it looked cool, and I really liked it. Fair enough. And when it came Might back, have to agree to disagree. <laughs> when it came back later, I was like, oh, come on, rule of three, rule of three, and it only happens twice. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, eh? Well, I guess you see the shield's three times because they're it, the shields go up on the oh right on the the whatever the oh the building castle. shields were junk i don't give a crap about those. <laughs> just talking about the people ones yeah. uh, the, this the um the rubber suits that they wear looked cool as well they were kind of a neat 
Uh, yeah, the Guild I, Navigators, or are we talking about the still suits oh, again? Oh, fun detail. I was talking about the still suits. Okay. Still suits looked great, and I like that the one guy's was dirty, and then the new ones looked new. I thought that was a. I, I thought, actually thought that was a really smart touch because it smart. showed the difference between the guy who'd been out in the desert for years yeah. and and the two new people on the planet. Very a very stark difference. However, to the Guild Navigator suits, because I, I always go and read <laughs> little details. These were apparently uh, body bags they found in a disused fire station that had been used more than once, and they didn't tell the cast until after the shooting had concluded. <laughs> Fun. Thanks, Thanks, David Lynch. David Lynch. <laughs> Dress your cast in used body bags. There. I want to talk about the sandworms for a second, um, because I have to think that... The movie Tremors stole everything about the sandworms and just put it into oh, the Tremors 100%. movie. Like they, 100%. They are, they are entirely sandworms. They're just smaller. You could, I guess you could probably maybe, maybe do, maybe, uh, Beetlejuice also. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Same thing. They have like the triangular mouths. Yep. Beetlejuice doesn't, I guess. They have like, but I, I mean, fundamentally, it's fundamentally, the same concept. Yeah. 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 It's a fun desert monster. But like it's an, an iconic a, desert monster. Yeah, and like right down to like the fact that like they feel tremors, and then they you've got like them running to the rocks to get to safety from them and stuff like that. From the Shai Halud. Yeah. How about that mountain that, that they were on? That was a wild mountain, right? When they when oh. he gets when he gets shot off of it and, and it like, falls for like twelve minutes. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Isn't even hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also just like the mountain itself is like weirdly crumbling everywhere and in strange places too like there's like there's like a body size like um a chunk that just like flips all the way over yeah. onto paul and so it was just like it it looked wild to me yeah so it's like this body this suit will keep you good in the desert for weeks unless you break your ankle <laughs> and you're screwed yeah. um one thing i did like and i think lends itself well to david lynch is the visualization of paul's visions as yeah. he as he slowly becomes more prescient, as he's more exposed to spice throughout the course of the movie, he has these kind of like he calls them waking dreams at first. He's having these visions, and David Lynch is very good at dream imagery. Mm-hmm. So I think that worked. I thought that was very effective. I thought that looked really good. Yep. Um. I mean, the Im- imagery was interesting to me. I didn't like the. I found the. I didn't love the transition to the dream sequences. That's fair. Great. That was my only problem with it. Yeah. Only only because, like, um, sometimes it was tough to tell if he was dreaming or not. I think. Fair enough. And, and, and part of that might be because um, the movie... I don't think the movie was edited particularly well. And... Um, Sometimes there are a lot of jarring cuts. Yes. Yes. And and um, there's a couple times where I, I thought I was confused. Like I'm like, did I miss something? Like did I look at my phone just a second too long? Like, yeah. 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 And like sometimes characters are just like all over the place. Yeah. We uh, we were texting each other while we were as we often do while we're watching the movies. And I think I was the first of the three of us to sit down and watch it. Yeah. And I texted something along the lines of, "Wow, this movie is insufferably long." And the general consensus was, oh, yeah, no, insufferable was the correct word choice. (laughs) Because this movie goes on and on in some places. Uh, 
there's the big climactic fight scene at the end and it kept going and going. And I was like, I want this fight scene to end. And then I turned to Anita and went, Oh God, he still has to have a knife fight with sting. There's still 15 minutes left in this movie. And I was so upset because it had already gotten so long at that point. And, um, we were in discussing before we started recording, like that battle scene is so boring. It's so boring to watch because it just keeps cutting back to Paul and his friends on the back of a sandworm looking at people going, pew, and then interspersing that with shots of either turrets going, butta, 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 or Harkonnen and, uh, and Sardaukar troops running around going, ah, and dying. And that's it. Like, it's just that for like, six minutes and it's just like get either make this more exciting or finish it please there was one part of that fight that i thoroughly enjoyed and actually it might have been the first battle scene uh, now that i think of it but like the the harkonnen are like supposed to be clearly stronger than the atreides uh, right and there was one dude who was just constantly flipping the Atreides army over and just going like boom like yeah, you know, like, like, Zang, like Zangief and Street Fighter he was just like zoom and you just do that and go to the next person zoom where you go and he just it must have happened six times in a row and I was kind of like hey, I, I noticed I that as this. well and it made me think that I'm like oh did they not have like a fight choreographer and <laughs> the it's like I don't know I guess just have them throw hey that looked cool do another throw scene do another throw and then oh when they get to the editing bay they're like we got all throws, no punches, no kicks, no tosses, no, you know, suplexes, just pick you, up and throw. It's, over pretty, it's pretty if, goofy. If you've seen Space Mutiny, Mystery, Mystery Science Theater, it's like the railing kills. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty goofy. Yeah, the, the f- first fight scene during the betrayal is fairly dynamic. There's stuff going on. There's multiple characters in danger. But the climax, the fight scene at the climax is so dull. Yeah. It's so boring. And that's, oh, oof. Ah. Uh, I think, I mean, we've discussed a lot of what's wrong with this movie and a lot of like what's at the heart of what's wrong with it. But for, but for me, the, the, the biggest sin that this movie uh, commits is Paul's journey, which um, aside from the opening attack on, uh, on his family uh, when they're on Dune, he doesn't really have any adversity in front of him. He escapes the the kidnappers uh, fairly easily. That he uh, becomes instant friends with the Fremen. He instantly becomes their messiah. He immediately uh, tames a sandworm. He takes yeah. the water of life like a fucking champ. And then he just strolls on in uh, and rips the Harkonnen to pieces, and it's and, and then he and then he beats uh, Sting fairly easily, and it was just like this isn't fun at all. Like like he needs some obstacles. He just <laughs> if he's just a god and he can just defeat everyone at will, then I'm not. You know, it's like the Superman problem. Yeah, kinda. I wonder if that was maybe like 
I can't imagine it was deliberate, but just like, look, audience, you're already already going to be bogged down with so much exposition <laughs> that like we're not going to also make tug on your heartstrings and make you worry about him for a second. Like, if you're keeping up with the facts, you're going to watch this guy kick ass from top to bottom. Yeah, look, there's a character arc here, but you're not here for that. You're yeah. here to you're here for the story. You're here for textbook explanation. I, yeah, I said to I said to Aaron that I felt like I was watching a two hour Cole's notes of Dune <laughs> of Dune the book. <laughs> yeah. It 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 re- the movie it's like trippy visuals while somebody reads aloud an RPG manual. Like just the House Arconan are known for this, and they live on this planet for the last thousands of years until this guy came. Now they like they just yeah yeah it 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 boggles the mind that that someone I was thinking about it while I was watching it, and like you know you know like. Uh, celebrities go on their junkets after a movie comes out and they talk about, Oh, I, I read this script and I just fell in love with it. And I just, I just <laughs> had to be a part of this movie. And like how many of the people that start in Dune do you think would have been able to say that with a straight face? That they, <laughs> like I read this, I read this script and it made total sense. I understood everything that was happening. <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder if a lot of the cast who were coming on to Lord of the Rings uh, when Peter Jackson was directing it were in the back of their minds going, oh, this is going to be Dune, isn't it? This is going to be Dune. Oh, this is going to be Dune all over again. Oh, no, what am I signing up for? Oh, no. Well, I mean, to the, to be fair to the script, the, this movie, I think, suffered from editing problems. Like, David Lynch didn't get final cut. Um, it's There's three different cuts of the movie. Uh, That's true. Facts I had read, Patrick Stewart was like, every actor lost two scenes to the cutting room floor. Wowzers. Like, everybody lost a huge chunk of the work they did. I believe it. So There's, it could, it, there's too much book to fit in the movie. I, I chalk maybe this up to editing, not script. But. Uh, no, because <laughs> again, there's tons of internal dialogue. And voiceover in this movie, yeah. and that is a script problem. That's not yeah, an that's, not, that's not punch up. It's <laughs> not punch that's up punch, when you can that see is the punch down. Yeah. That is punch down. We are punching down. Um, yeah, I guess I like what I mean. I mean, how long would the movie have been had they stuck six in six or seven? Had? I mean, like, I mean, even like if if the voiceover was solving uh, a condensed you know, movie problem, uh, you know, trying to fit in everything that was in the script just by voiceovering everything. Then I kind of wonder like how long the actual movie was intended to be or and whether it was even intended to be one movie. You know what? It's there. There was a time when a three or four hour epic movie was not a big deal in Hollywood. Like you'd have two real movies that were giant epics and then they kind of fell off. And it's only recently that we've started to see big blockbusters that have started to stretch the bounds of two and a half to three hours again. Yeah. But I don't think that for Dune, a movie with a huge, with a doorstopper of a book behind it and a huge fan base who were very interested in seeing this movie happen. I don't think cutting it below three hours was necessarily a good idea here. If it, if it preserved the integrity of the story, Maybe you could have gotten away with a four-hour movie. Maybe there was an audience there who would have been willing to see it if it was done well. Yeah. 
Frank Herbert actually wrote a new screenplay in 1978, uh, but the script he turned in was 175 pages long, <laughs> equivalent to about three hours of screen time. There you go. Um, and then uh, Ridley yeah. Scott was actually brought on as an early potential director uh, to try to whittle down the screenplay as well, um, which is, I'm pretty sure, where he met H.R. Giger to then go do Alien. That sounds right. So. Yeah. Did Giger work in this movie? Uh, he Did you not see Jodorowsky's Dune? He was going to be in Jodorowsky's. Yeah. Uh, oh, that... Yeah, yeah. I really hope I've said I, that guy's name like six times. I really hope I'm saying it right. Is he Yodorovsky? Yodorovsky? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm saying yeah, it right. Cool. Yeah, I had forgot that bit. Yeah, but was, that that definitely makes that like Yodorovsky's doing like it would have been would have had <laughs> would have been would have so, been Giger. He's already like a wild director. To the point when the when the when the guild guys come out, I'm like, oh, that, could you imagine if Giger had done the guild? Like, <laughs> oh, anyway. But we're not here to talk about how great Jodorowsky's yeah, we're not, Dune, we're, the documentary is, and film would have been. Yeah, we're not here to talk about how great another speculative Dune movie would have been. We're here to talk about <laughs> our, our speculative Dune, Dune movie would be. <laughs> and uh, let's uh, speculate wildly with all the uh, prescience uh, that the Sweet Sweet Spice provides uh, when we come back after the break. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and make Edmonton its creative best. Join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations, all dedicated to getting things done. Besides desks and offices, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio and meeting spaces, as well as a kitchen, Wi-Fi, and all the usual amenities. It's located in the historic McKinney Building on 104th Street, close to everything downtown, including the Bay LRT station. Book a tour today at unitb.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We are uh, notarizing uh, Dune, the 1984 film by director David Lynch based on the Frank Herbert novel and uh, probably too much novel for one film. General consensus so far. <laughs> How many of the people at this table were born when this movie came out? Me, me. Yeah, I'm 87. This <laughs> <laughs> is curious. Yeah, yeah. I was I was four years old. I was uh, just understanding what a big fan of Wayne Gretzky I was. I think maybe at that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Fair enough. Big I, Sesame Street fan, probably. Yeah, I maybe also Mr. Dress Up would have been in in my toddlerish years. Mm-hmm. So. It's uh, it is an older film, yes, and uh, but looks really great. It really does look like it's the the visuals hold up. Yeah, they do. Know. Yeah, I think even some visuals are actually uh, I would say is fairly impressive. Yeah, like the big map paintings of the of the ships uh, when the, the troops are arriving and stuff like that. Like that all re- looked really really solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, think we all kind of agreed that the production design was yeah was well done. The suits, the yeah yeah yeah. yeah the only the only effects I I. I I didn't like were the <laughs> the shields the thing the thing that uh, Liam really liked. <laughs> well, even that even the shields have their have their fans. Uh, I think I think <laughs> where the work uh, needs to go into here is uh, the the script and the the editing. And uh, let's uh, let's see if we can take a crack at rewriting this. Uh... Well, I'd like to just start yeah. by saying that there's so much book that you're trying to cram into a movie. Why make a movie? Why not make a miniseries mm-hmm. about? the show and put it on like a television station or a streaming service. And the good news is they did that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a sci-fi series 
which was put out uh, many years ago. Um, 2003, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Which was the books Dune and then Children of Dune. They did as a follow-up. And it is like a season of television, so the story has the opportunity to breathe. Mm -hmm. And we have the opportunity to follow Paul's character as he goes from callow youth to messiah. And we get more time with all of the side characters, like the Harkonnens and uh, and the Emperor and the Emperor's daughter and the Bene Gesserit, so that we can figure out what's going on, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And and it's because it's so dense and there's so much history with the Fremen and with uh, the Empire that trying to condense it all into one two-hour action movie, you're just gonna you're stuff is dripping out between your knuckles. Yeah. Like you're going to lose so much of it, which makes me wonder why they're trying to make one in 2020. Because that's what they, I was just going to bring up. History repeats itself. That's why. As <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say like we're going to we're going to find out if they can make the the movie better because Denny Villeneuve is going to be doing a Dune uh, when is it going to be released? 2020. In 2020, yeah, with uh, Rebecca I mean, Ferguson. So so you, dear listener, are going to have the opportunity to uh, answer the question, who did it better, uh, Denny Villeneuve or I have some notes? <laughs> well, I mean, he at least had the benefit of being able to make his movie. Yeah. We just get to imagine it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, all things considered, Denny Villeneuve is at least a solid choice of director to take a crack at it, Al Grant. But then I would have said the same thing about David Lynch yeah. back in the 80s. So what do I know? Yeah, maybe it's it, we'll and, find out whether the story is truly impenetrable for film, won't we? Yeah, because especially we live in the, in the streaming and golden age of television age. Like there's nine different streaming services that would have happened. Harrison Ford just signed up to do a television series. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford... Yeah. has signed up to do a television series. The idea that television is the ghetto is long gone. Yeah. You can get big names mm-hmm. to sign on for a limited series. You can make it, and you can get HBO money to do it. Like, yeah. it can happen. You don't need to make a movie of something like this. But here we are, and we're going to try. Yeah, we're going to try again. Definition of insanity. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is be our most... Our, like, and, we're, and we're definitely stalling here, just just so you know, listeners. <laughs> well, well we've, we've got some place to start. I like your suggestion of, of uh, starting them on Dune. Yeah. What, cut, cut a bunch of the stuff that takes place in the first, like, third of this movie where they're just futzing around not getting to Dune yet. And start them on Dune. Start it with the Ducal ship coming down from the sky and Duke Leto coming out with Paul and the Lady Jessica and being like, well, we're home now, or derp. And (laughs) then have the opportunity for a lot of these ancillary characters to start to educate the, the Atreides family on what's going on on the planet. And I think that for the first part, we should focus more on Leto and kind of Ned Stark him a little bit. Yep. Like, set up the first part of the movie like maybe Leto's the protagonist, so that when he's betrayed and dies, and we shift over to Paul as the protagonist, it's a little more like an, oh, that was unexpected. Yeah. And in those world-building details, you can also hint at the fact that they're being set up. Yeah. So, like, they're learning all about the planet, the audience is learning all about the planet, 
and the fact that they have walked into a, a potential yeah. death trap. In this, yeah. in this sense, the the whole Atreides family is kind of acts as the fish out of water characters that we need to guide us through yeah. all the complicated sci-fi stuff that's and, happening. And we get a good opportunity here then, because if we're following the Duke to start with, we get to see Paul through his eyes. And that makes us more sympathetic and empathetic to Paul early on. So that when the Duke dies and now, oh, well, this is actually Paul's story. We've got a sense of him and we're already sympathetic to him because we got to know him through his father. And now we kind of were rooting for him. Oh, well, we also liked your dad. And so we want you to get revenge and, and such. I think that's, I think that's a, a more solid way to kind of start the story out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and probably um, Leto needs to spend a bit more time with Paul. I don't think in this movie he spends a ton of time with him, right? No, not really. Yeah, because like that that training scene that's with like Patrick Stewart, right? Yep. He's training Paul. Like you can easily just like throw the dad in there. And, and I mean, <sighs> there are a lot of characters in the story, I know, and you want to see all your favorites, I mm-hmm. know. But there's some dead weight that can be cut, mm-hmm. and maybe Gurney, sorry, Patrick Stewart is possibly one of them. Yeah. Maybe Duncan Idaho, if you're not planning on making any of the sequels, who cares? You do if you're making any of the sequels, but <laughs> if, you're, if you're not, you're making just the one movie, eh, maybe don't bother with him. Like there's, or just have him be a one-off guy who walks by. Hey, Duncan. Yeah. I think end. like, you know, like for example, Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring, um, cut Tom Bombadil, which is famously a very popular character in the, in the Lord of the Rings lore. But like, what did he add to the story? And well, therefore and he got cut. That's, actually an excellent example Mm -hmm. uh, because Lord of the Rings is as a movie uh, as a blueprint for a movie is one-to-one with how you should be looking at Dune. You should be cutting the fat and keeping the meat Mm -hmm. and the problem at least with the first part of this movie is that there's too much fat and then they've trimmed off a whole bunch of the meat later on to make room for all that fat. (laughs) Now let's uh, uh, let's ask for a moment if maybe you need that that uh, not not fat but let's let's assume for a second that you can't make this movie without having to explain a whole bunch of history and world building almost directly to the camera, which is where I think a lot of the like show don't tell or like telling problems happen the vo- the weird voiceover thing. Uh, so one of one of the things I would say to rewrite would be. First of all, I guess I have a question. Why was it established that the the uh, lady at the beginning, and I think her, her title is Lady, it's not just me. Not She's actually the Emperor's daughter. Emperor's daughter, yes. Right. Why is she that narrator at the beginning? Was that ever explained, or is there a reason for her character to have that position? I, I want to, and this is, this is not from my firsthand knowledge of reading the book, but I believe she writes a history okay. of, like, Paul Atreides later in her life. Gotcha, gotcha. And there's kind of maybe like a framing device that maybe oh, yeah. the book that we're reading is her recounting uh, of that history. She's, and so she's Bilbo. Yeah. So I, I feel like that okay. might have been what they were going for there. I could be mistaken. Then that actually that that works. I have a dumber suggestion, but that almost works better. Okay. Um, I would love to see all these world-building details, instead of them being said by people's thoughts that we hear but don't see their mouth move, or just like really long slog conversations, if they did kind of a like, they do it a little bit in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and they do it a little bit, or quite a bit, in um, The Big Short 
Remember in the big the movie The Big Short? They'd cut away to they'd cut away to like a narrator just being like, I am quickly gonna explain subprime mortgages mortgages to you using Anthony Bourdain's soup of the day. Or or Stephen Fry and Hitchhiker's guy. Yeah, and yeah. Stephen Fry just stopping to be like, we're gonna look at dolphins for a second and then come back. If they had done something like that, maybe even framed it as like take a hit of prescient, you know, like spice yourself audience and learn some facts. Um, and if they just would every couple scenes, if they stopped to have a little history lesson and came back, I don't think that'd be the worst thing in the world. Or even if there was just one consistent narrator, because yeah. part of the problem is that like everyone gets to have a moment where they're like, Oh, Paul, I really feel for that boy. I hope nothing bad happens to him. Anyway, so here we are talking about other stuff. Yeah. If it had been a consistent narrator who cut in every now and then, yeah, that yeah. might have been different. Yeah, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, and, and real screenwriters can correct me, but like I don't think like narrators in general are not considered like no, uh, great storytelling. I believe they are strongly frowned on. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, like I, I think like in a in a story as dense as Dune, like if you if you have to narrate something, that's okay. Like it works in I keep coming back to this, but like it works in the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, for example. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of lore to sort of get through. Uh, there's a backstory of the ring, and they do a fairly good job of sort of narrating yourself through it while also giving you, you know, uh, some interesting visuals and, and people actually talking on screen, you know, there, so they, if they, if you, there is room to do that in your story. If you really just need to set up a whole bunch of stuff really, really quickly mm-hmm. and, 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 um, set up your world. And then we, then we land on Dune. I can, I can be convinced of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I had forgotten how well Hitchhiker's Guide does it until just now, where I was like, oh, damn, yeah, they do Underrated a Underrated really- film. Yeah, I, I agree oh, entirely, I, yeah. Um, but now thinking back on it, like the whole animation that explains the Babblefish, I was like, damn, yeah, they do a really good job of just like sci-fi, uh, sci-fi cutaway mm-hmm. um, that this movie could probably use a lot of. So that's my, that's my pitch for a rewrite. I don't know that it necessarily needs it. I think you could... I think you could get away with the necessary yep. world building just with a lot of uh, with judicious use of exposition and a lot of show don't tell. Fair enough. But I guess what I was saying off the top too, I as a as a an RPG and kind of world buildy DM fan, I liked that they went, here are the four planets, here are their names, here who live there, and like show me that at the beginning, even if it is a little ham fisted. If if this world is as rich and beloved as it's believed to be, I I want those, and so maybe we maybe it doesn't need it, but that's what I want. Fair <laughs> enough. I would like that. But there's also a way to maybe cheat that in because the House of Trades has their mentat. He could be teaching Paul. That was you my could worst come, suggestion. We could come in and have Duke Leto like stand at the back of one of Paul's tutoring lessons, where he's being like, "Can you name the the four main planets of of the well, Empire?" And don't those guys get hopped up on a certain kind of juice to give them that power? Yeah. What if they took that juice and then looked at the camera like the big short and was like, now I'm going to explain some history to you, the viewer, sip, sip, and then back to like, that was that's how they justified uh, the fourth one. Because like they were, uh, you know, I was reading that history of other things, like things that were cut out of the movie and they've got the hypothesizers and the uh, uh, inventors and the, what if it was a, a guy who's a, yeah. Uh, Liam is referring to uh, a YouTube channel called Exerbia. Mm-hmm. You can search right now if you want a little primer on the Dune plot. If you've not seen the movie or you just want to know what's going on because you've never read the yep. book, it is called The Shit History of Dune. 
It is S-H-I-T, History of Dune. It is funny and worth four minutes of your time. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of actually helped us <laughs> a little bit. We all were like, okay, hey, we're all on the same page on the story now. Great. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I mentioned this in the in the first half, um, but I think clearly uh, Paul needs to run into a lot more conflict along the way. He definitely needs to not be instantly trusted by the Fremen. Yeah, and I think we need to. We just need to spend way more time with the Fremen because, like, oh, like that's obviously the most interesting part of the story is like uh, who they are, um, what their prophecy is. Um, how are they living on this desert planet so well and, and it stuff gets like that? Totally glossed over. It does, story. and yeah. yeah, and it's it's really it's really unfortunate um, that you kind of skip over the the most interesting part of the uh, part of the story. So, uh, and, and you know, like that's 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 kind of where um, Paul would develop as a character and become the the person that he's supposed to be by the end of the film so they it's really really tragic that we don't get to see any of that really Mm -hmm. agreed he's just kind of awesome from the start to the finish and it's i mean i I guess with the possible exception of the training scene at the beginning where he's kind of there's some vulnerability there but after that not really at all yeah i mean even i'm like he he tames those worms with no consequence but i'm like well i guess that's what the hand thing was was like he learns to you know, let fear wash through him. So when he's looking down the business end of a sandworm, yeah. he doesn't quake. But like, that's the that's his trial. Like, yeah. if you look at the if you look at the um, Hero of a Thousand Faces story wheel, he's his one trial was a hand in a box, and then that was about it. Like, <laughs> also point of order, he sticks a tiny shovel into this massive sandworm, and the sandworm shrieks. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but like that would be an itch at best for that sandworm. <laughs> Honestly, it's so low on the priority of problems, but the fact that he was controlling a sandworm with, like, heavy-duty bungee cords, like, we've got, we're folding dimensions on each other, and all you need to control this beast is, like, truck tie-down cables to, to like, harness a four-mile-long, yeah, no. But the, I mean, it, fundamentally, that is actually how they do it in the books, but it could have been visually portrayed better. Yeah, it really looked like... He got it a, could have looked he, more impressive. Yeah, he yeah. got a grip to go get him some rope, and there's carabiners on the end of it, and he's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here you go, Mr. McLaughlin. I mean, Mr. Atreides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, we the movie definitely needs to languish more in the Fremen, um, and in Paul's and Jessica's time in the Fremen. And the yeah, trials her, of... Like, even his mom's transition is... Poorly done as well. well. Like, we barely get any time with her, so yeah. it just kind of is there. <laughs> like, so, she's just slowly transitioning into like space witch, and yeah. like every scene, she's got she's she's like a little balder and a little darker, wackier clothing, and like by the end of it, she's just like the you know kind of like full on space witch. Yeah. Oh, the ADR on his little sister as well was terrible. Oh boy. Oh, I like oh I like that so much. Pretty much all the scenes that the emperor were in were my favorite. Okay, it had the coolest enough. costumes. It had voices that remind me of podcasts I like. <laughs> uh, the kid was great. Um, with, same with the the whole wizard like teaching the fremen their wizard wizarding ways their uh, mending ways winding ways the weirding weirding ways weirding ways weirding ways it even says that he's like i will train 100 of your best soldiers and then those 100 will retrain will train the remaining thousands and then we got a 2 minute montage i'm like wow we really just like it you're right it just yeah and even the fremen didn't really seem to have much trouble like picking up on the whole like sound gun thing yeah. yep <laughs> 
especially watching this is just like an, an improv thing for me but they they watch one he's got 99 people watching one person do it and i'm like dude you're gonna it's gonna take you forever to teach them if you're doing them one at a time <laughs> also like wasting these people time they're standing around watching someone else learn like get them all doing it this hey is, those extras got paid that day yeah <laughs> i did enjoy the one moment of levity i think in the entire movie oh. where the guy <laughs> the guy says something and accidentally shoots off his sound gun yeah yeah yeah, the, let's get let's go for uh, jokes plural in this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> needs to be a little bit needs to ease up a little bit on things. Yeah. Um, okay, so we we agree that the movie should start on Dune. Mm-hmm. We agree that maybe it should kind of pull a Ned Stark with Duke Leto and give us the first little bit more through his eyes to make his betrayal hurt a little more. Yeah. yeah. Transition over to Paul and then spend the bulk of the movie with him earning their trust becoming a warrior, becoming their messiah, and leading the the fight against the Harkonnen. How, where, how's our climax shaping up, guys? Well, you know, I, th- I think there needs to be an economy of villains as well. It's like, uh, like it, there's, there's a lot going on in the, in the universe of Dune. Five? Yeah, there's five villains? You got the Emperor, you got Baron Harkonnen, there's two goons, and the witch. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and like, what's his name? Sting. Yeah, <laughs> Sting two, is two goons. His nephews. Yeah, right. And I Raban and Fade. Yeah, and I feel like the the main villain is supposed to be the witch. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, again, I feel like the I, main villain is kind of the emperor. Yeah, and at I, least in I the guess, first. but he's just like in, in, in this movie as is. It doesn't really feel and that. That's way. not even tr- that's not fair to Baron Harkonnen. The main villain in this movie is Baron, Baron Harkonnen. Harkonnen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I I I, I mean I, I just kind of wish that the movie focused um, a little bit more on one or the other because mm-hmm. um, I, I especially towards the end in the climax, like I felt like they were just transitioning so quickly between the the witch and the Harkonnen and you know all that. like it just didn't like I didn't like they didn't spend enough like we kind of actually forgot about the witch altogether for quite a long time it mm-hmm. seems like and then all of a sudden yeah. she's back in the climax and she's she's struggling with uh, with Paul and his and his sister and stuff like that and it's like it it didn't it didn't work for me because I didn't I I didn't I didn't, I had kind of forgotten about her because the movie's actually pretty long right so yeah. I well. Didn't, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, if Baron Harkonnen is responsible for the murder of Duke Leto, and we've Ned Starked him at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. um, then he's definitely our focal point villain. Uh, the Emperor is the greater scope villain here because he's the one who set all this in motion for political means, but the Baron's the guy who killed Paul's dad. Yeah. He's the guy we want to see get beat. And so I think that everything's kind of pointed at the Baron, and then we get the scene... We get the the scene where, well, the Baron and Fade, I suppose. You still have to have the nice fight with Sting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the scene where Paul is just, like, usurps the Empire. Because that's all of the villains getting their comeuppance at that point. Yeah. I guess. I like if the Emperor kind of is more of, like, a shadowy figure in the movie. And we don't really... Well, we, we don't really need to see him a lot. I... I think the movie still needs to end with Paul being crowned emperor. Yeah. So I think he does need to be seen, but I don't think he needs to be seen until the third act. 
I don't think we see him until the end. Yeah, yeah. He would have been when the more. like the emperor suddenly shows up and things are getting real or something like yeah. that. Yeah, that put putting extra pressure on the villains. I'm a little embarrassed yeah. to say there's so much world building and exposition and details at the beginning. I didn't fully realize that character we were talking to was the emperor <laughs> until we saw him again, and I'm like, oh, that guy was the emperor, like <laughs> the emperor emperor, just not a uh, emperor. Like, is I'm like, well, clearly the grand emperor of the universe we're not gonna see sitting in a chair being you know threatened first thing in the movie oh yeah no we are yeah. space and guild has a lot of power yeah it, it's so much going on in this movie yeah. <laughs> yeah i think it's disorienting because you see uh the princess do the narration and then you kind of see her immediately after and you kind of think like okay well this movie's gonna involve her in some way and then it totally doesn't and no she's <laughs> like, just a background like, character yeah. for the rest of it yeah uh, i think that 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 uh that contributes to um the confusion that the the movie presents again something the uh miniseries handles much better yeah, I'm sure i think disorienting is the right word i've watched this movie coming out of it i'm like I think I was thinking about people who either like I know people in my life who don't have the attention to like really watch a lot of movies. They just don't have that attention span. There's also a lot of people who don't like science fiction because of all the world building stuff Mm -hmm. or even just plain like watching a movie in your second language. That's what this felt like where I'm just like I I'm like, is this what it feels like to be one of those people who hate sci fi? Because I can't follow any of this. and It's making me angry. (laughs) Too many made up words. Too much backstory that doesn't matter i just like and i'm like this is what people who just like there's people who watch star wars and feel like that yeah and they just don't like sci-fi anyway. yeah yeah that's a, that's a fair observation i yeah. think uh speaking of fair observations uh we got some listener comments if you would like to get in on the note having you can follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at i have some notes and we can read your comments on the show just like these folks are about to uh cinematological uh chimes in with uh i can't I actually can't stand this movie, but I dug the book. Burn the negative. Stop trying to make this a movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, we. I think we all kind of agree that it maybe is better suited to a TV show mm-hmm. just because of the, the wealth of material. Um, but again, Denis Villeneuve, sure, why not? Take a crack at it. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, after we discussed our, you know, we, we just got through our changes discussion and I kind of feel like we didn't tweak that much. Like, I kind of feel like there's probably a movie in there if you, if you make it a little less dense and, and just focus on the, on the things that matter. Well, yeah, again, Liam pointed out in the first half, maybe some of the flaw in this movie is the editing and we're just basically making a new edit of the movie at this point <laughs> yeah. with with some structural changes but uh maybe that's what it takes and i mean to cinematological's point they said lord of the rings was unfilmable and peter jackson did most people would agree a pretty decent job mm-hmm. at that yeah. Yeah. so well, maybe it can be done it just hasn't been done yeah, yeah. he also did it over three movies yeah Three books in three movies. That, okay, yeah, that's fair. But also, a book is not a standard unit of measurement. Like, I I wonder how many pages is Dune versus how many pages is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. Well, Dune is not as long as the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. No, but I bet it's longer than any one of the three books. It might be. Yeah. 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 And I think The Two Towers is quite a bit shorter than The Fellowship, right? Yeah. It's only two towers long. Uh, <laughs> that's not even a joke. Uh, that's not even. I, Matt Bones. I liked it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Uh, Matt Bose says this is a personal attack. Uh, the movie? Oh, no, or, I think he's talking about... doing the movie. Us yeah. doing the movie. Or the picture I sent of his cat with the eye scratched out of it. <laughs> uh. One of those three things what was a personal yeah. attack. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what it could have been? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, obviously, uh, the, the Herbert novel and this film have their fans. Uh, we just we just want to make movies good and watchable and we're... I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that I I would love to hear Matt Bose's like full throated defense of this movie. Yeah, um, because I feel like I feel like it would take some real mental gymnastics <laughs> to get that done. So I, I can I feel can free. Almost Matt. I can almost see why this is a cult classic. I mean I want like and he might actually like a different edit of the movie than we saw because uh, as Liam pointed out there are yeah. actually released different mm-hmm. cuts of this movie and cuts can make a huge difference the Richard Donner Superman comes to mind Blade Runner Blade Runner um, Daredevil the, if anyone's never seen the director cut of Dare, the Ben Affleck Daredevil Colin McIntyre will also defend that to his death <laughs> yes so. I will too It's it makes it a much more watchable movie anyway I've watched both of those Ed. it's crazy what an extra 15 minutes can do though maybe they could have just taken that from the uh fight scene uh and spared you and uh your wife having to watch another 15 minutes yeah good god uh stephanie von science uh says more sting hard agree (laughs) absolutely when he steps out of that smoke cloud and he's just abs all the way down (laughs) oh boy (laughs) woo young sting he's just wearing like yeah feathers yeah it was Young Sting. Yeah, I kind of want underwear with crotch rings, right? <laughs> I mean, <It'd> sweet. <laughs> Futurama suggested that's the way we're going to go. So yeah. yeah. Also, uh, the the soundtrack was by Africa uh, Toto. I almost said yeah Africa. Toto, and not the Police. But anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it makes a little more sense. But yeah, Toto did the soundtrack. That was a surprise. Two surprises. Well, so uh, Toto's name in the credit, and, uh, and yeah, the uh, soundtrack gets kind of rock and roll every once in a while. Sure I does. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's also all it over the place. It gets 80s rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Actually, that's now that I think about it, there's not much about the soundtrack of this movie that stood out or sucked. No, I would agree. Completely forgettable. I mean that um, that leap motif that Greg was just humming. Um, I've heard played over like analysis videos for Dune that I've seen before. Mm-hmm. So clearly a lot of people kind of associate okay. that music the way that kind of Harry Potter's theme is associated with Harry Potter. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a proper theme. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I wasn't paying close. There's a lot of mo- modern movies that just really don't take the time to do that yeah. or their, or their, you know, their soundtrack is so insipid that you just don't, re- you know, you just don't remember it. Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 With the possible exception of Avengers, which is, I think, is the only memorable theme from any Marvel movie. Those three bars that yeah, dun, yeah, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, more sting. I just say more sting in in any movie. Uh, sure, uh, fellows. Final thoughts. I mean, I think we made a pretty good crack at it. Yeah, yeah. It didn't go as poorly as I was expecting. <laughs> Um, I was, ex- I, was ex- <laughs> I was expecting us to be scratching our heads through most of this section, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm truly interested, uh, especially now having having watched this uh, the '84 movie um, to see what Denis Villeneuve does it, and I and I may actually, in fact, watch the uh, sci-fi series that uh, that Scott mentioned just to see yeah. if 
if I actually am interested in the Dune story at all, or or if it is as as I said on the top, just not my type of science fiction. And I would I would recommend uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. It, it, watching this now makes me wish he had got to make that movie because I've seen more than a few uh, Jodorowsky movies and they're wild and it's just so surreal that this movie or this this story in this world would have suited his vision. I'm not vision. mistaken would his would, would the version of his movie not cost, you know, more than a country. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, oh, it would have been insane. Yeah. No. That's not my problem. I mean, Drew, <laughs> that sounds like a Yudorowsky problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a production company's problem and not a loudmouth man on the internet's problem. <laughs> Scott, any final thoughts? Uh, no. Right. I think I think we have uh, buried this one in sand. Absolutely. Well, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at I Have Some Notes. If you like the show, please consider a rate and a, review, uh, rate and a review on iTunes. It really does help us out. You can find our episodes on the CKUA radio app or download it from the Apple App Store. Uh, remember to check out all of our sibling podcasts over at the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We do shows every second week, so tune in when we take a look at our favorite films of the last decade. That's and right. A big mid-season sort of finale. But also a side notes. And uh, and one of our rare side notes, that's right. Yeah. 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 And, I'm uh, so old now that I don't really feel the years going over and over again. So like when, it, when, when these lists start cropping up, like the best movies of the last decade, I was like... Is it the end of a decade? Oh, fuck, it is. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm 40 years old. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. we have a movie podcast <laughs> and opinions, so yeah. you're damn sure we're going to give them. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, until then, I'm Liam Kreswick. I'm Greg Beaver. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. Keep watching the skies. The spice must It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. (laughs) It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. ATB! (laughs) 